down to Y Food, the edge facing back right on. The only podcast taking you under the helmet. Expert analysis breaking down the quarterback play in the NFL each weekend. Don't that feel good when your crowd behind you? Let's give them something to cheer for now. This is Inside the Pocket with your host, Greg McElroy. Welcome in. It is Inside the Pocket. I'm your host, Greg McElroy. So much to get to in what was an exciting week four of the NFL football season. How about the performance from Aaron Rodgers? Monday Night Football. And we were going through it, actually, looking at his supporting cast. And it further proves that great quarterbacks actually elevate their supporting cast more so than their supporting cast elevate the great quarterbacks. Aaron Rodgers had seven guys catch passes for him on Monday Night Football. Of those seven, three were undrafted, two were fifth rounders, two were fourth rounders. Think about that for a second. It's not about just how good Aaron Rodgers is. It's how good he makes everyone else around him. And if you actually evaluate his throws throughout the course of that game, there were a couple incompletions that were actually probably his best throws of the entire night. He threw a back shoulder to Valdez Scantling that was absolutely perfect. Now, the next play, he threw a touchdown to Tanya. So it didn't really affect the score sheet that much or the box score. But look at that back shoulder throw that he threw to Valdez Scantling. Scantling Valdez Scantling couldn't get his shoulders around, couldn't flip his hips, couldn't get it done. But man, what an unbelievable throw. He finishes the night 27 to 33 over 80% completion with four touchdowns. The guy has been absolutely unconscious through the first month of the season. and He was a worthy recipient of the Gold Star Award of the week. I mean, truly remarkable. He got hit three times. They tried to blitz him. They tried to pressure him. Was hardly ever off target. I mean, the guy is just... He's ridiculous. He's playing another level right now. Other performances of significance. Let's give the bounce back performance of the week to Lamar Jackson. Uh, Now, Lamar Jackson struggled mightily, struggled mightily against the Kansas City Chiefs last Monday night. It was not his best stuff. I mean, it was really, really a bad performance, all things included. I mean, didn't make good decisions in the pocket, did not do a good job of identifying and recognizing pressure, didn't have an answer for when pressure was coming. Didn't adjust protections, tried to beat it with his athleticism. It was just bad. Well, what did he do this past weekend? He rebounded and did so beautifully uh, against what was an overmatched Washington football team. But when, and it reminds me, how many times has Lamar Jackson had consecutive bad performances? There's not many. There's really not many. But when you look at what he was able to provide, In this matchup just the other day, I mean, he was in control. He obviously was pretty dang accurate, relatively speaking. And if you look at just what he did in the run game as well, the 50-yard runs, what stands out. But he didn't, outside of that, I mean, it's not like he was looking to run on a regular basis. I mean, he was in control. He was dialed in. And granted, yes, I know it was against Washington, But still, I thought it was worthy of some recognition for the bounce-back performance of the week. Let's also throw a little love to some guys that I thought played exceptionally good football. Teddy Bridgewater. 
We haven't spent much time on the Carolina Panthers quarterback, but he's quietly having a pretty good year. Teddy Two Gloves, or Teddy Checkdown, as some people like to like to call him, which I think is a little bit unfair, has actually put together quite a season. He really has. I mean, he's won back-to-back weeks now. He got the win on the road against the Chargers last week, in which he threw for a paltry 235 yards. It wasn't you know, a, a dominant passing performance statistically. But this past weekend against Arizona, I thought he was the best quarterback on the field. Kyler didn't do a whole lot. Yeah, threw a few touchdowns, which is great, uh, and added some added some plays with his legs without question. If you look at Teddy Bridgewater and, and just what he's been able to do, his command of the offense, he clearly looks very comfortable. He's starting to develop a bit of a chemistry with Robbie Anderson, uh, with Mike Davis, who is suddenly emerging and looking like his younger self. I mean, he looks really comfortable, both as a runner but also as a receiver out of the backfield. Now, the guy I'd like to see come on here is DJ Moore. Thought he was poised to have a really big season. But for whatever reason, Teddy and CJ and DJ Moore haven't quite gotten on the same page the way I think some of us thought they might. But I feel like that time is coming. So just wanted to throw a little love toward our man, Teddy Bridgewater, just on the day and, and on the year. The guy that continues to amaze, who was number one in accuracy rating, was Josh Allen. Josh Allen continues to do remarkably special things for the 4-0 Buffalo Bills. I was somewhat of a skeptic, full disclosure. Not that he would eventually become a great player. I thought he'd get there, but it would take a lot of time. This guy's turned the corner, man, on 34 attempts. I mean, he missed only two throws. That's I, that's shredding it when you take that into consideration. Two throws out of 34 attempts. A couple touchdowns. The yards per attempt uh, is, is significantly up. He's able to create and use that athleticism that he relied so heavily upon early in his career. That hasn't left him. But the only thing it's done is it's brought his ability to extend plays to the forefront. And now he's no longer looking to run. This guy's looking to not just run, but run to get guys open. I mean, he's buying time. He's allowing separation. And man, he's accurate when he's on the move. I have been so impressed with his development this year. Uh, As far as other positions of note, other guys of significance. I'm going to give my tighten up performance of the week. If I could, I'd give it to New England Patriots quarterbacks, but that's not fair to Brian Hoyer. And of course, uh, I don't want to blame. I really, it would be completely unfair. It'd be really unfair to blame Jared Stidham for the circumstances of his performance on Monday night. One of the picks was right off of Julian Endelman's hands. I mean, it was hit him right in the face mask. I mean, what more could you want from the guy? He threw an accurate ball, checking it down. And Julian Edelman bobbled it. Tyron Matthew ends up getting hands on it and takes it back to the house. I can't kind of blame him for that. I thought he did some nice things. I mean, the throw to the back left corner of the end zone was a beautiful throw, getting it up and down, allowing the receiver a chance to get it. 
corner was playing for the back shoulder. He threw it over the top. That was good recognition there at the snap. So I thought, all things considered, it was a pretty decent performance, but far from a performance that would lead me to think Jared Stidham is capable of taking this Patriot offense to the next level if, in fact, Cam Newton were to miss ample amounts of time. If anybody won this weekend, it was Cam Newton. Like Nobody is going to come out of this weekend feeling better about their situation than Cam Newton. Because there's one thing we learned about the New England Patriots on Monday night against the Kansas City Chiefs is that they cannot win the way they've traditionally won without Cam Newton. I mean, this team fell to two and two on the year. And with Cam as the starter, they're two and one, obviously. But two and two on the year. And that was probably the most disappointing quarterback performance of the week. We talked about Stidham. Let's talk about Hoyer. What led to his benching? Well, let's start with the pick. Bad news, Bears pick. Overthrow, force, not good. Second play was the sack at the end of the half. Can't happen. Absolutely cannot happen. You're a veteran. You're not a rookie. You cannot take a sack with no timeouts remaining when you're in the red zone. Like you uh, immediately erased three points off the board and you squandered any momentum that you created to end the first half. That was an atrocious play. And then to make matters worse in the third quarter, which ultimately led to his benching down in the red zone again, guess what? Sack fumble. Not entirely his fault, but at that point we had seen enough. We had seen enough and frankly, uh, probably have seen the last of Brian Hoyer, at least this year. But other guys of significance uh, when it comes to the Titan Up, like I said, I, I, I tell you that I'm not going to give the Titan Up award to the Patriots quarterbacks, and it feels like I did. I was just explaining why it wouldn't be fair. And then sure enough, I go on a five-minute tangent of my, of my frustrations with the New England Patriots quarterback situation, right? I'm sorry. That's on me. That's on me completely. I'm going to give the Titan Up award this week Wait for it. No, I'm not going to do it to him. I was going to give it to Nick Foles, but I'm not going to do that. I can't do that. I was going to, but then I heard his coach after the game say, you know what? There was a different level of poise on the sideline. Really? Oh, so that's what we're evaluating the quarterbacks by now is by how the sideline feels. Are you kidding me? His performance on Sunday was less than stellar, which is exactly who Nick Foles has been over the course of his career. I'm not saying he's not a capable backup, but to expect him to all of a sudden resurrect the quarterback position for the Chicago Bears is just dead wrong. I mean, history repeats itself. And if there's anything I know about Nick Foles' history is that he is remarkably and traditionally very inaccurate. So I'm not going to give it to Nick Foles because that's low-hanging fruit. I'm actually going to give the Titan Up Award this week to Matthew Stafford. And it's really not all his fault. It's really not. When you look at, at Matthew Stafford, he's been dealt a difficult hand. He really has. And if you look at the completion percentage, and he threw three touchdowns, and he had all this stuff. But what was frustrating to me about Matthew Stafford this past week, and I, I'm telling you, I love the guy. Known him since high school. I think he's a great, great, great player. And believe me, as far as the concerns that I have for the Lions, Matthew Stafford might be concern number 927 
out of a thousand. Like he is one of their best attributes. So I am not at all concerned, but I just don't for the life of me understand that with Matthew Stafford, why is it then when you have an opportunity, I mean, they have their foot on the gas, they come out, they're roaring in the first five minutes of this football game. And then they go a grand total of 25 game minutes or 35 game minutes, excuse me, before they score another point. Now he gives them a chance and puts up, I think what was, uh, you know, a pretty impressive run there in the fourth quarter. But at, at what point is Matthew Stafford going to just take the guys around him? Because he doesn't have a bad supporting cast. I think TJ Hawkinson's a pretty good player. Danny Amendola has had some decent moments. I mean, Marvin Jones is a proven pro. Kenny Galladay is excellent. Love DeAndre Swift. think he's going to be an excellent player. You got Adrian Peterson running the football. Like, don't get me wrong. Their defense is the biggest problem. But Matthew Stafford, man, in an era in which defenses have really taken a back seat, he's got to be able to elevate those guys around him. And I understand he's probably never going to be a really high completion guy. And I thought all things considered, it, it was a decent game for Matthew Stafford. But I still think when I watch this guy, he's got legitimate top six, seven, or eight potential in the NFL right now. Maybe even higher than that. This guy could be among the Leeds elite players, and he just doesn't do it often enough. So I guess the reason why he gets the Titan Up Award this week is because I know he's capable of more. I know it. I know he can do it. I've had so many expectations for him coming into the season. It just hasn't come to fruition just yet. It just hasn't. But I'm going to remain optimistic. I'm going to remain hopeful because I think he is so gifted uh, and I'm hoping so much for him and I know he has got to be so incredibly frustrated. They bounced back last week on the road at the Cardinals. You think, hey, man, this, they might, this might be the start of something here. They get out to a big lead against the Saints early in the game, take advantage of mistakes. And the next thing you know, they go absolutely quiet for the better part of three quarters. Uh, just frustrating, really frustrating. And I can't even imagine the frustration that Matthew must have when, when evaluating the current situation that he's in. Uh, I really believe it. I still think the guy is one of the league's best. If I didn't have super high expectations for him, I promise you we wouldn't be having this discussion. So excited to be joined by our guest, though, today. Our guest, Charles Davis, is one of the very best. Covers the game remarkably well and does such a fantastic job of allowing us as fans of the sport to understand why and who and what we need to be paying attention to throughout the broadcast. So we're thrilled to be joined by him. Selfishly, as a guy that prioritizes uh, the college game and has prioritized the college game the last few years, but has now started dabble in the NFL, this guy made that move. Like he has made that move. He's Charles Davis. Does a wonderful job with CBS. He's with Ian Eagle and Evan Washburn every single Sunday. And this past Sunday, he was with the Chargers and the Bucks in what was an outstanding game. Charles, how are you doing, my friend? Greg, I'm doing fantastic. It is great to hear your voice. I love tuning in now and catching you with Tess and doing your thing and watching you do your thing in this industry is so much fun because I used to enjoy watching you play. And I still remember us meeting in New York City as you were just getting started <laughs> in this broadcasting thing. You just gotten your agent. You were rocking and rolling. It was around the draft. And look at you now. Oh. I mean, top of the food chain, brother. Top of the food chain. 
No, you are at the top of the food chain. I'm just trying to catch some chum when uh, when the big dogs get done eating. That's for sure, man. But it's uh, it's been a lot of fun to watch your ascent, and I love Ian. I've loved Ian forever. He's, he's uh, he and Evan are phenomenal. To, I don't know Evan, but I think Ian does such a great job, and and just have so enjoyed. And I I think Evan does too. I just don't know him, uh, and I don't I I only know Ian because I've worked with Syracuse guys forever, and it's the Syracuse Pact. You know, that's the group. So. Yeah, you uh, but, know how it is when the cuse is in the house. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, but y'all do are, are doing such a great job. And I just have to, I just have to tell you just how much it's been a, a treat to watch you blossom uh, over at CBS. And, and I know that's been a, a great thing for you. So we couldn't be happier for you, but I got to ask you about, let's start with Herbert. Let's start with yeah. him because Brady is Brady's Brady, <laughs> you know, and especially last week, Brady was Brady. He's the Brady that I know He's the Brady that, you know, Yes. Justin Herbert, man, he made it hard on that. And I like that Bucks defense. Yeah. That dude can drive the ball down the field and made contested throw after contested throw, man. I, what was your impression of seeing him in person? Even better than what I'd already seen on tape. And the beauty of it is I still get to dabble a little bit in the college game in terms of prepping for the draft. Right. And so you and I have conversations around the draft every year and you get to watch these guys through their career. I'm watching them. I'm watching them when you're watching them, but you're seeing more of them. So in the course of this little answer, this is going to be a back and forth with you because you know him quite well too, because you did games of his. So we know that 6'6", 240 when he's at his top peak, can drive it like crazy. Athleticism always fooled people because you look at 6'6", and you think he can't move like that. And then the Rose Bowl, we saw it. By the way, he played the Rose Bowl at about 224. He dropped wow. the weight to be quicker for that one. I got that straight from him. Because <laughs> Why did he want to be quicker against Wisconsin? Because he knew they were going to put a heavy quarterback run game in. So from, wow. from the time they won the Pac-12 championship game to the Rose Bowl is approximately a month. And he knew what the game plan was going to be. So he dropped some pounds. Because you remember, he ran for three touchdowns in that game. Yeah. And so... You have all of that. And then the competitiveness was always a knock on him because he's a quieter kid. People thought he wasn't a vocal leader. He wasn't this. He wasn't that. Dude's a 4.0 Campbell Trophy winner, which is the academic Heisman. And competitive is all get out. He just doesn't show it like the old school guys. People are seeing that. And so what I meant by bringing you in, when you watched him play and people pressured him, Greg, you saw what we saw Sunday. He threw 11 touchdown passes, zero interceptions last year versus the Blitz. He went into last week's game 13 of 16 versus the Blitz versus pressure. How about that play late in the game where they bring seven and he throws <laughs> it down the middle of the field and sticks it right on Jalen Guyton for a touchdown? Yeah. I, think, I think the sky's the limit for this kid. I really do. And if the Chargers weren't so beat up, their record would be at least three and one for, you know, three and one. I mean, guaranteed because he has not played to where he has hurt them to the extent that they are. They have lost his three starts. It hasn't been him. No, he, he's been excellent. And I am, I'm, I'm frankly just shocked. I, I thought he'd be okay. I thought he'd be good. I thought it'd take a little time. Yeah. You know, and when he was forced into the lineup, when Tyrod had his rib situation, get your helmet, which, you're in. What? Right. <laughs> hey, hey, wait, hey, what? Uh, wait, what happened to Tyrod? We just warmed up. What are you talking about? Like, I, don't worry about it. We don't have time for that. You're in. What? I actually think that benefited him, frankly, yeah. because you didn't. You don't have time to think about it. You don't have time to get nervous. 
But man, I was a little bit concerned about deer in the headlights. Like, hey, this is the show. Let's do it. And he has been so accurate, so decisive. You mentioned the athleticism. You knew it was in there, but I just didn't think it was as much a part of his game. Yeah. But he has operated from the pocket, I think, as well as any young quarterback I've seen in quite a while, especially with the, I knew Burrow would be good. You know, yeah. I knew Burrow would be that, that he, that was his strength was in the pocket, but I wasn't a hundred percent sold on Herbert, man. That has been a real, real bright spot with what he's done so far. And Greg, would you say that when Herbert came out, there were some similar questions as when Josh Allen came out. Yeah. Dave, I think we all felt like Herbert was more accurate throwing the football but I don't know that we knew that Josh Allen was as athletic and would run it as much in the NFL. I felt the same way about Justin Herbert, although right. we saw it against Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl and we're seeing both. Now I did tease him before the game. I was like, dude, you got to be a little more decisive. I'm making your mind running up, running, making up your mind running. The okay. Right. Goes, I can slide. I can slide. I said, uh-huh. that's what I saw. I was, I thought you'd never played baseball. So Sunday, <laughs> fast forward to Sunday, his first run out of the pocket, Greg, he gets to the white of the sideline, but again, very indecisive. Yeah. And he takes a whack on the sideline. They throw the flag. He gets the call. Now you couldn't hear it at home, but we could hear it on our mics. One of the Bucks defenders, and I'll sanitize it because he said it with typical salty language, <laughs> like, dude, either go out of bounds or turn up field. Make up your bleeping mind. <laughs> And that was the defender telling him that. Yeah. And, and he kind of nodded his head like, yes, sir, you're right. I, I, that was really yeah. – he got the call. But other than that, I'm with you. I wasn't sure it would happen quite this fast. But this kid's poise, confidence under the fire, and his offensive line's been in total flux. Yeah. He had two backups playing Sunday at right guard and right tackle. And, oh, by the way, the center was a guard last year because Pouncey's not playing. They right. essentially have one guy playing that they expected to play. That's Sam Tevy. And he was a right tackle last year. Now he's a left tackle. So you can see that off out of position. Yeah. And that's a mess. I mean, that's, and he's given them a chance. I mean, and against good teams, I mean, against yeah. good teams. it's not like, he, Hey, by the way, go get them. You got the, you got the chiefs and bucks go have, <laughs> you got to go get them. You know, it's not like, it's not like he's playing against Washington or no. Miami. Like the guy's been thrown into the fire. And played well. I get, I give it to him. He has really played well, and I just think the sky's the limit for him at this stage. Yeah, I'm excited about him. I, I really am. Uh, quick, yes or no? When Tyrod's healthy, is it his job back? No chance, right? Shouldn't be, but the way he went, Greg, with that punctured lung and everything they're talking about with the doctor, yeah, there may be more in play here than just simply. <laughs> yeah. You're you know probably what I mean? right. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a lawyer, and I definitely like, don't know enough play about one on, on on radio or TV. Right. But I that's the only holdup because Tom Brady changed the rules about getting your job back with Drew Bledsoe. For yeah. Andrew, right. And it's never been the same since. I think other than that, yeah, it would be Justin Herbert's going forward, and that would be the end of it. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I don't know what medical malpractices or anything like that. I don't know enough about that, but hey, that. that if that's part of the decision, then you got to do what you got to do because that's ownership. You know, the other, <laughs> the other part too is they've lost these games with him. And Anthony Lynn, the head coach, has such a history with Tyrod that he may very well go back if he's healthy again because that's right. who he goes and trusts. And maybe he thinks that Tyrod's veteran experience can help them get over the hump 
but we'll see. But I think under normal circumstances, it'd be hard to go back and, and, and take the ball away from Justin Herbert. No, I think you're hundred percent right. As we, as we visit with, with one of the fa- my favorite guys in the entire world, Charles Davis, Charles on the other side of the ball was, was Tom Brady. And <laughs> I thought to, I haven't seen him since he's been with Tampa Bay. I haven't seen him anticipate throws like that. It felt like the first three weeks, it was, he wasn't on the same page. He didn't have the trust with the receivers. It really didn't because he wasn't cutting it loose the way we know him to cut it loose. So this first drive of the game, right down the field, anticipating throws right down the field, beautifully done. Uh, so in rhythm, so in control. Then he has the pick six and that was a defender guessing. And that happens like uh, it wasn't a bad throw. It wasn't late. It wasn't that far inside. I just thought it was a defender guessing. And then the final, he allowed that to kind of dwindle for two drives. Thought he was really subpar. Final 38 seconds of the first half, he made two unbelievable throws. And then the whole second half, that's the Tom Brady we know and love. Is this a sign of things to come? It is. It absolutely is. And I think you encapsulated it perfectly, Greg. That was preseason for them. And you hate to say that because it's regular season and it counts. But there was no preseason. There was no OTAs. There was no mini camps. He's learning them. They're learning him. All that going in. And I think you're absolutely right. It's a sign of things to come now because it's all starting to come together with this offense. And guys, and when you talk about cutting it loose, that first throw down the middle to Mike Evans, play action fake, and he drove it. And that ball's out of his hands before Mike can get his head around. I was like, oh, boy, that looked (laughs) the part. And then we kept seeing it throughout the game. And by the way, Scotty Miller, the scooter. Oh, yeah. Keep an eye on that young man because he and Brady have that special connection that you would think of Brady and Wes Welker, Brady and Edelman. I think Scotty Miller is his next thing, except for one thing. He actually can run the deep routes. <laughs> yeah, he's not it's not all option routes, which no, is he, you he know that's downfield as we saw Sunday. No, he he can. And that throw, for instance, there was a three throw sequence in that game. It started with OJ Howard's touchdown on the right seam. Yep. Where I mean that was just beautifully done. I mean, eyes left, held the safety. Got it up and down. Not a ton of room between where he caught it in the back of the end zone. And then Perfect. he throws a deep ball on the next offensive snap to Scotty Miller down the right side. Way deep. Beautiful. Rainbow. High arcing rainbow. And then he hits Scotty Miller over the middle off play action for the touchdown. It was like a three throw seagull. was like, goodness gracious. Like, take it easy on us, Tom. Like, the rest <laughs> of us are still trying to catch up. And you're putting the gas pedal down, man. I mean, that was as accurate as he's been, though, in a Buccaneers uniform. You're right. That was the preseason. And if he plays like that, I can tell you this much, Charles. I'm not picking against him. I'm with you. And and the other thing is that defense, they're good. Okay. I know they gave up, you know, points on Sunday, but that defense is really good because it's hard to run the ball against Indomitian Sue and Vita Vea. Yeah. You know, I joked on Sunday that the two of them weigh as much as most people's front seven. <laughs> I mean, these are big, massive dudes. And if you can't run the ball against that front, you see how fast those linebackers are between Shaq Barrett and Devin White and Levante David and, and Jason Pierre-Paul. Wow. So they'll run you down. And the secondary, I love them. I don't know how you felt about Antoine Winfield coming out, but I said, this is Tyron Matthew again, same instinct, same type yeah. of a player. And he moved right into the starting lineup and is doing it already. 
I, I think he is uh, on the cusp of being a really good player. He does have some Tyron Matthew qualities. Like all you had to do is watch one game in college and it's like, all right, there's Matt, there's the Badger, there's Badger yeah. Jr. And that was the game against Penn State when, oh, when Minnesota pulled off a pretty significant upset and large part due to his contributions, that's for sure. Charles, I can't tell you how much we enjoyed having you this week, man. Awesome, awesome stuff. We'd love to have you again. Uh, where are you at this week? Where are you at this week right now? Kansas City. Kansas City, here we come. Who's Who do they have a quarterback? Anyone good? Um, th- th- this kid named Mahomes, I think he's starting to get it. He's coming along? Like he's coming along. And it's a traditional rivalry game. So you got to understand, I'm 55. So as a kid, when the Raiders and Kansas City hooked up, that was appointment television, man. Oh, no I mean, question. those two, right? The trainers better get their rest the night before the game because they were going to get worked on Sunday. All right. When those two got together, that's the game we have. John Gruden just said it this week. That's our number one rival. And by the way, Kansas City's 12 and two in their last 14 against against the Raiders. And that doesn't sit well. So the ghost of Al Davis somewhere is really ticked off right now. So this could be a lot of fun on Sunday. Oh, I I would imagine so. As Derek Carr said, he's sick of losing. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> might want to get used to it if you don't play better against the Kansas City Chiefs, my friend. That's a great line, isn't it? Remember? Oh, New- yeah. I'm sick of losing. We all are. Uh, we're sick of you losing, too. I want I want uh, Gruden and the Raiders to get going. That's for sure, man. That yeah, is for sure. Remember Lucian Bull Durham? I love yeah. winning. You know, it's like better than losing. <laughs> <laughs> well said, Charles. Thank you, brother. I appreciate Thank you so you. much, man. You're good, brother. Take care of yourself and all the best. Continued success. Same to you, my friend. Have a great call this week. And that's Charles Davis does a wonderful job alongside Ian Eagle, the bird on CBS. You'll be able to watch him and Ian and Evan Washburn on Sunday as the Raiders, the Raiders take on the Kansas City Chiefs. And that'll do it for us here at Inside the Pocket. From all of us, our producer, Andrew Emmer, I'm Greg McElroy. Hope to catch you again next week. And remember, you can always download this podcast wherever it is you get your podcast, and you can get us on the SiriusXM app.